how do you celebrate Thanksgiving? And I, and I, I want to be serious about that. How do you celebrate? How do Christians give thanks? And so I, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. During this week, we will celebrate Thanksgiving. We will give thanks to God for who He is and what He has done. And uh, tonight we have a, a special service. At 6 o'clock, we'll, we'll praise and have a lot of testimony. And if you're in the service, this will be uh, audience participation. We want you to engage in, uh, in this. Yes, Mark, you do all the time anyways. But tonight, everybody else will be participating as well. And uh, I, I want you to come with the testimony. And, and I know that not, we don't give everybody 20 minutes to speak or whatever, but just to stand up and brag on God of what He's done, how He's blessed you, how He's working. And uh, today we're going to kind of talk about how we do that. It's very biblical to give or to have Thanksgiving or to have a time to be thankful. Psalms 100 verse 4 first, and then we'll back up. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So I ask the question, how do you enter into his gates with thanksgiving? How do you be thankful unto God? How do you bless his name? And I just, I read that, man, I just, the wheels were turning. How do you do that? How do we do that correctly? So let's start over and we'll read through, and I'm actually going to kind of preach two messages today. I want to I wanna set up the stage of why this says what it says, and then we're just going to finish this, the service by me preaching through the entire Bible. And I'm not just saying that. I'm going to preach or talk through the entire Bible and talk just about our great name of Jesus Christ. It says in Psalm 100, verse 1, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. It's a command. Make, create within your life a noise or an outburst that is joyful. Now, there, there's a big difference. And I, I know we joke about this all the time. People joke and say, well, I can't sing, but I know, I know how to make a joyful noise. But I'm going to tell you in the Bible, this is, this is more than a joke. There, there's a lot of truth, a lot of depth. I have three kids. I can tell you guys personal experience, the difference between noise and joyful noise. And there is a big difference between noise and joyful noise. All right, I, I, you're sitting in the living room and you hear your kids in the other room and they're playing a game and they're laughing and they're competing and I'll get you next time. To me as a dad, that's a joyful noise. But when they're fighting over who gets the remote next, and I was here first, and get out of my spot, and I had that first, that is not a joyful noise. But both of them are noise. There's a big difference between going up to your kids and saying, hey guys, what would you think if we all went and got ice cream? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a joyful noise. There's a big difference in saying, hey, it's our day off, guys, why don't we clean the yard and, and mow the grass? No joyful noise follows that statement. So I, the, the Bible is talking about giving thanks unto the Lord. And he, he makes this emphasis that what comes out of our lips or comes out of our mind to show God thanks. If my kids are trying to be thankful on Christmas for what I bought them, and all I hear is complaining and griping, and this doesn't fit, and I didn't want this, and it's the wrong color, that's not a joyful noise, and it's definitely not giving thanks unto that. So here's how we do this. This is what God was meeting Meaning to us. Verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. The word serve means to work or execute what you do. To labor. But everything that we do. Not just at church. God is saying to do it with gladness. 
How you raise your kids, do it with gladness. Raking the yard, do it with gladness. Spending Thursday with your sister-in-law, do it with gladness. Gladness is glee or joyfulness, pleasure, rejoicing. You know what it is? Gladness is an attitude. God wants our attitudes to be joyful. God wants our attitudes to reflect the goodness of God. Let me ask you, church, are you joyful today? Okay, four of you are joyful today. All right, for the four of you, I'm glad you're joyful today. If I was to ask your kids if you were joyful today before you walked into this building, what would they tell me? They'd be like, well, dad woke up in a bad mood and mom couldn't find this. You know, what was your morning like? In Psalms 118, verse 24, the Bible says, This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a choice. You have a choice to say that I'm either going to focus on the goodness of God or I'm going to focus on all the bad. Guys, there's plenty of bad in this world, but you make a choice that I'm going to focus on the good. Simply put, this means that God desires for his people to be happy. To be happy that you are here to worship God. To be happy that you have salvation. To be glad in the Lord. To focus on the positive and not focus on the negative. Trust me, in the media we've had way too much of that anyways. Come before His presence with singing. Think about this. What is a joyful noise? Singing is a noise that comes out of your life with a message to it. God's saying, may the message of your heart be joyful. May the words that you say be joyful. What is the message that you're giving to God? What is the message that you're giving the people around us? This is our purpose. Verse 3 says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's almost like this verse doesn't make sense in the middle of this passage about giving thanks. Because it talks about seeing, be glad, in a minute we're going to hear, be thankful, and, and, and bless his name, and those things right there. And in the middle of it, God just interjects, and he says, let me put it like this. You don't belong to you. Your life is not about you. When you come to church, it's not about you. When you wake up tomorrow and go to work, it's not about you. When you go to Thanksgiving, wherever you go on Thursday, it's not about you. You know what our life is? It's all inward focused. Well, I don't like that, and I want this. And I'd go to your mother's if she wasn't, blah, blah, blah. it's all outward. And God said, it's not about you. You didn't create yourself. You weren't created by yourself. You weren't created for yourself. It is the Lord that we serve. And that Lord even is talking about creator, Elohim, the one that is created, the one that is all-powerful. And then in verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Now I know when I've preached this before, we don't visit God. And I know when we read a passage like this, it talks about like enter into his gates like you're showing up at grandma's house or something. You don't visit God. You don't show up. But the idea here is from the very beginning of everything that we do. Okay, today you woke up with God. You drove to church with God. You sat in the car with God. You walked into the church with God. You're sitting with God right now. He's everywhere. You don't leave his presence or enter his presence. But what he's talking about here is we've come here today with the intent to worship him. 
I didn't come here today to be on Facebook. I didn't come here today with the intention uh, of eating during the service. I didn't come here with the intention of those things. I came here with one objective. I came into his presence or I came into a purpose of worship to focus on him. When we gather together, we've come here corporately to do this. But did you come here with the attitude of thanksgiving or the giving of thanks? To acknowledge God for all that we have and all that he's done and to give him credit for all that he has done and all that he is doing. Thanksgiving is mentioned with the intentional focus of giving God the credit for our blessings. So let's illustrate it like this. Just out of curiosity, how many of you plan on Thursday to go to somebody's house to eat? Raise your hand right now. All right, that's probably about half of you. And probably the other half possibly is because they're coming to your house to eat. All right, but more than likely, one of, one of those things is going to happen. So you're in the car and you're driving to there. And you're going to enter into the presence of your mother-in-law, your friends, your, your sister-in-law, whoever it is. More likely somebody. And you're in the car and you're driving to their house. And then you start. And you start eating on your wife. And you say, I'll tell you what, if your dad brings up my weight again, I'm going to let him have it. If your sister-in-law tells me that I'm, oh, there's another plate, I'm going to let her have it. I hope your mom doesn't overcook the turkey again like she did last year. That was like eating rubber. And, uh, uh. and you walk in and, you know, you, uh, they greet you out the door and you say, oh, it's good to have you. Or, you know, how are things going? And you're like, we're here, aren't we? And you just say, that, that's, a, that's a horrible attitude to have. I'll tell you, being honest, that is, that is a lot of times the attitude we have when we're going to Thanksgiving. Let's go give thanks with our family by grumbling all the way. There's no joyful noise. There's no praising God. There's no attitude of thankfulness. There's no focusing on the positive. There's none of that. But then it says in the same passage, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Meaning praise, acknowledging the good, exalting the good. To walk through the door instead and say, mom, you look good and the the food smells great. Thank you for inviting us over. Thank you for the daughter that I got to marry because of your sacrifice. Dad, thank you for being a good example to my kids. Thank you, God, that I have health. Thank you, God, I have legs. Thank you, God, I had a car to get me here. Thank God there's food on the table. Guys, it's the same thing in every... And I'm giving the illustration of Thanksgiving, but let me tell you, that same illustration is in every aspect of our lives. Going to work going to school, going to mom's house, wherever you're at. The Bible says enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Literally enter into the blessings of God saying thank you for what I have instead of the opposite of what we normally do. You can find something wrong with anything and everything. If you want to go on Thursday and point out the negative, I promise you, from the way that she looked at me to the, you know, the, I was the last one to get the turkey. I, was, you know, I mean, I promise you, wear your feelings on your sleeve, you will get hurt, I promise. But he says this, and bless his name. Can we stop for a minute? How do you bless his name? That right there just totally took me back when I studied this and I was like, wait a minute. I get with thanksgiving to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Man, I'm glad to be here and fellowship and excitement and God's people in unity and your family in unity. I get that. 
I get the idea of having the right attitude and serve the Lord with gladness. Whatever you do, be glad. Look at the positive. Thank God for it. I get the idea of singing. You know, when somebody's excited about something, even in a movie, you know, in a cartoon, if something good happened, they're going to break into song or something. I'm just, it's just something we do when we're excited. If you're excited about doing something, you're going to walk through the house singing, and it's an expression of joyfulness. We understand being thankful, to point out the good, to count your blessings, to, to go through your life and say, I'm, I'm glad that I have this. But at the end of this passage, when it talked about thanking God, it says, bless his name. So here's message number two. I really want for our church this morning, we're going to have a Thanksgiving service. And I just want to bless the name of the Lord. You will not be able to keep up with me as I go through this. So I want you just to listen. And I want you to bless the name of the Lord. See, it was on September 11th, 2001, that our nation was attacked in a way like never before. Our nation repeated the words over and over again, God, we need you. God bless America. God, uh, come to us. And all those different things. But did you know that as we were crying out to God, G-O-D, for his help, on the same day, the very same day, there's pictures and video recording of the Palestinians' militants that were celebrating in the streets, celebrating great is our God. It was on Sunday, October 7, 2001, that Osama bin Laden said in the following videotapement, he made these statements, there is America hit by God in one of its softest spots. Its greatest buildings were destroyed. Thank God for that. Their America is full of fear. Thank God for that. Osama bin Laden's God's name is Allah. His God is different than our G-O-D, is different than his G-O-D. See, it's not the same God that they were worshiping and praying to is the same God that we were worshiping and praying to. It is important for us to understand the name of our God. See, the name of our God is all-encompassing because our God is the creator of all. He knows all. He's all-powerful, all-sufficient. He's everywhere. He stands with me. He stands beside me. He stands behind me. He goes before me. He not only love, loves, he is love. He's agape love. He's unconditional love. His love has no limits, and it never runs out. He not only gives peace. Our God is the prince of peace. He not only provides, he is all we need. And we wrap all this up into one word called God. I'm telling you, if that's all you know of your God, your God's worship, you, are, you cannot bless the name of our God. So why do we do so much and read so much in the Bible when the Bible tells us to praise the name of our God? And I was going to do it for the sake of time. I could go and he says, over and over, praise the name of our God. Praise the name of our God. At the end of time, the Bible says, and we will bow, every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. At a name that is above every name. It tells me that there's something powerful about the name of God. And even more than that, when we name the name of God, we bless the name of God. And God is honored as we give thanksgiving to him. See, his name is a description of who he is. His name means something to us. And the closer you get to God, the more we know him. See, it's the same thing applies to our relationships with one another. When I met Jenny uh, over 20 years ago, I, I came up to her. She introduced herself to me as Jenny. I later found out that her full name is Jennifer. 
The closer that I got to Jenny, I started calling her Jen. The closer we got to that, I realized that as our relationship grew, that she was my best friend. I called her my girlfriend. I called her my fiance. Later, I called her my wife. Now I call her my sweetheart. I give description that she's my amazing wife, or that's my beautiful wife, or she's smart, or she's faithful, or she's hardworking. When I first met her, all I knew her as is Jenny. And now I have a list of names that I use to describe her because of the relationship and the characteristics and the way that I love her comes out in the names. What names do you know about your God? What, how close have you gotten to him to fall in love with his faithfulness? There's a reason when people were going through a hard time that they just cried out and they said, God, you are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my high tower. You are my refuge. See, every one of those describes the power of God, the love of God, the character of God, and his faithfulness. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it begins with, And God said, let us make man in our own image. That word God right there is Elohim. God the creator, God the originator, God that has always been. We look to the heavens and we look and say, how great is our God? How great is our G-O-D? How great is our Elohim? How great is our creator? We look and brag on God. Every time you see the sunset, the rainfall, the snow, or anything else, that is reflection of our God. He is the mighty creator. In chapter 2, he, he introduces himself by a different name. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God... Capital L-O-R-D form man out of the dust of the ground. L-O-R-D capitalized all the way through is the unwrittenable name that is called Yahweh. It's to show himself as more than creator God, but our personal God. It was Elohim that spoke the words and created the sun, moon, and stars. But it was Jehovah that got on his knees and formed man out of the dust of the ground. It was Jehovah that breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. In the book of Exodus, God introduced himself to man. He called unto Moses from the burning bush. It says in Exodus 3.13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, they shall, they shall say unto me, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they shall unto me, What is his name? They already said, The God of your fathers. And they respond and say, but I know what they're going to do. They're going to say, what is his name? Tell me, especially when he goes into a land that has many gods. What is the name of the God you're talking about? And God responds for the first time and he declares his own name. In verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said, moreover unto Moses, thus shalt say, thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. I am. What a name. Can you imagine us sitting there saying, I am? Because in our knowledge and in our language, I am, and then you follow up with What? Give me the rest of it. How do you give the rest of it to a God that is everything? And that was the whole intriguing statement that God was saying in that passage. 
Hebrews 11, 6 in the New Testament goes and does the same thing. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He is what? It just stops in comma and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seeks him. It just throws it in the Old Testament. Tell them that I am in the New Testament. Tell them that I that he is. So what is the rest of it? So you go in. I started back in Genesis. In Genesis 14, 18, the Bible says he is the most high God. He is the most high God, meaning that there is no greater than our God, and our God is compared to no one. In Genesis 15, 2, Abraham was crying out to God for a child. He cried out the words, Adonai, means Lord, Master, the one who controls. Adonai, I need you. It was specific. My children in situations don't sit there and say, Tony, Tony, when they're crying through the house, if they want my attention, they call me dad. In Genesis 17, 1, and when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. The almighty God in the Greek or Hebrew that you might know it is, is El Shaddai. It was the name of God that was distinctly saying that I am the mighty God. That there is no God more powerful than I am. In Genesis 21:33, Abraham was calling out to the name of his God and he called him the everlasting God. El Elolah. The Greek means without end, eternal, God of the universe. When Abraham was talking to Isaac to be sacrificed, Abraham called on the name of the place and he said, this is Jehovah Jireh which is talking about God that provides. Going up on the mountain, he said, listen, whatever we face, I'm going to tell you, on this mountain, he will be Jehovah Jireh. Our God provides. The Lord said in Exodus 15, 26, when they were leaving the bondage of, uh, of Egypt, they came to a spot that they could not drink the waters because the water was bitter. The Lord responded to them and he said, I am the Lord that healeth. The, the, the Hebrew in this passage is saying, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that heals. God instruct them to throw a branch into the water and the bitter waters became sweet in an instance. In Exodus 17, 5, Moses built an altar and called on the name of it Jehovah Nassai, which means that the Lord is my banner. You see, the situation was amazing. They were fighting the battle and they were losing. Moses stood before them. And they lifted up his arms. And every time he lifted up his arms, the battle, they would win. And he was the banner saying, as long as I am lifted up, God gives the victory. And that was the banner that gave them the victory, Jehovah Nassai. In Exodus 20, verse 5, And thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. I do not share my glory. I do not share my people. In Joshua 5.14, he is the captain, the host of the Lord. He is the Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord of peace. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 47, he said, He is the rock of my salvation. He is the light of the morning when the sun rises. He says, He is my rock. In Psalms, we read that He is my redeemer. He is the most blessed. He is Jehovah Ra. He is the restorer. He is the king of glory. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is the rock that is higher than I. He is the rock of my strength. He is the rock of my habitation. He is the rock of my heart. 
we get to the book of Proverbs, it says that he is the friend that loveth at all times. In the book of Song of Solomon, he is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. In the book of Isaiah, he is described as he is the great light. He is the father of eternity. He is the prince of peace. He is the rock of ages. He is the crown of glory. He is the crown of beauty. He is as the rivers of water in a dry place. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the leader and the commander. We start getting into the major and minor prophets of God. He said, He is my physician. He is my Jehovah. He is my righteous. He is my resting place. He is my Jehovah Shammah, which means that the Lord is there. And Daniel, he is described as being the Prince of Peace. And Joel, he said, He is the people. He is, he is the hope of my people. And Micah, he is the ruler. And Zechariah, he is the king over all the earth. And Malachi, he is the refiner's fire. He is my purifier. We get to the New Testament. The Bible says in 1 John, or John chapter 1, verse 14, the Lord was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All of a sudden, everything that he was described in the Old Testament, the Bible said that all of that took on flesh. And they saw it. They beheld his glory. They saw it firsthand. It was no longer the God of the sky or the God of creation. It was Jesus in the flesh. In Matthew, he was, he was described and his name was given Jesus. In Matthew one twenty three, he was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He was the bridegroom. He is meek and lowly. He is the son of the living God. He is Jesus, the Christ. There was never, no, never anyone like our Jesus. He came as a servant. He supplied strength to the weak. He healed the sick. He cleansed the leper. He forgave sinners. He delivered the captive. He raised the dead. He sought out the rejected. He blessed the young and the old. And he served the unfortunate. Matthew described him as the rock and the builder. And the Bible says, Upon that rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His life is described in Mark 10 as the ransom. Without it we would be lost. John said when he saw him coming in John 1.29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He is the gift of God, according to John 3.16. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of God. He is the light of the world. He is the door. And I promise you, no man comes to the Father but by Jesus because he is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. He is the vine, and God followed up and said, Without me, you can do nothing. He was the crucified as the king of the Jews. He is the holy one. He is the just. He is the prince of life. He is Lord Jesus. He is the Lord of all. He is the judge in Acts. He is Jesus of Nazareth. In Romans, he was the deliverer. He is Lord both of the dead and the living, according to Romans 14, 9. He is my wisdom. He is my righteousness. He is my Passover. He is the head of every man. He is the last Adam. He is my peace. He is the offering and the sacrifice. He is a servant that humbled himself unto death, according to Philippians 2.8. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. He is the head of principalities, and he controls all the powers. Colossians 3.11 says, He is my all in all. First Thess- or 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 3, verse 1. He is the Lord of peace, the Lord of hope. He is the justified. He is the mediator. He is our go-between between God and man. He is the righteous judge. He is the great God and he is our Savior, Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us all of this. It tells us that his throne is forever and ever. He's the upholder of all things. He is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today forever. He is the altar. He is the priest. He is the intercessor. He is the captain of salvation. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. The Bible describes that he is king of the Jews. He is king of Israel. He is king of the righteous. He is the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. And he is the king of glory. I hope I'm not boring you. He is the tempted. He is the merciful. He is the faithful. He is the holy, the harmless, and the undefiled. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, 9, he is the perfect. Peter said, he is my helper and the lamb without blemish. He is a living stone. He is my salvation. He is my savior. He is the word of life. He is life. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the savior of the world. He is the true God. He is the advocate. And then we come to Revelation. The Bible describes very clearly in Revelation chapter 1, very Christ. He is Jesus Christ. He is the Almighty, which is, which was, and which is to come. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lamb that was slain. He was the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He is the faithful and true. He is the crown with many crowns. He is the Word of God. He is the King of Kings. He is the bright and morning star. Church, He's not just the I Am. He's the great I Am. You say, why give thanks? Why praise the name of Jesus? Why should we serve the Lord with gladness? Because His promises are sure. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. With all of this said, you must get that I can wrap up God in all of His his description in one word, and that is He is indescribable. With all of this said, you must understand that you can't live without Him. You can't outlive Him. The Pharisees could not stand Him, but they could not stop Him. Herod could not kill Him. Death could not handle Him, and the grave could not hold Him. He always has been, and He always will be. He had no predecessor. He'll have no successor. There was nobody before him and there will be no one after him. You did not vote him in and you will not vote him out. He is my God. He is my Savior. And he is my best friend. Do you know him? How dare we walk into this season of Thanksgiving and not recognize what we have? That was the most unusual message I've ever preached in my life. I just got in there and I just thought, how often do we make everything about what I need and overcoming and getting through and help me, Lord, and all this? And God says, why don't you stop and just look up? Why don't you once in a while just stop and realizing that I am, you fill in the blank, all that you need. I'm the conqueror of the sin. I am your salvation. I'm the peace when you can't get through. I am the peace that 
handle the storm in the midst of tribulation. He'll be the, the peace that handles your storm in the midst of your persecution. And I don't know if you know him or not, but I'll tell you this. One day you will. Because the Bible says in Philippians 2.9... Wherefore, God also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And the Bible says in verse 10 that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of the things of heaven, the things of earth, and the things under the earth. You might not praise the name of Jesus, but I'll tell you from here out through eternity, you're going to praise and know the name of Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wrap it up with this one simple question. Do you know my Jesus? You might not know him, all those names, but I promise you, when you start a relationship with my God, when you start a relationship with your God, he'll be way more than just Elohim, the God that created the heavens. He'll be more than just the God that created humanity and the God that created this earth. He'll be your savior. But could you call him today your savior? Can you say that he is your rock? Do you know him in that personal way? And if you don't, the Bible says, call unto me and I will answer thee. God does not ignore you. God does not look the other way. He's a God that created you. The Bible says he knows every hair on your head. He knows every problem that you have. He knows where you've been, where you are and where you're going. That's the God that is inviting you to come into a relationship with him. That is the God that died on the cross. That is the God that rose again. And that's the God that sits on the throne today. But all of that, he calls you into his presence. He calls you into a relationship. It's not about you trying to earn your way in. You could never earn your way in because everything that you need, he already is. Every problem you'll ever face, he's already conquered. And the salvation that you require in your life to enter into heaven, he has. He describes the salvation that he has as a gift. A gift of salvation that must be received and it must be accepted. If you don't have that gift in your life today, I promise you, he extends it with no strings attached. He knows everything that he did and he still extends it. He knows the fact that after you were saved, you let him down and he still extends it. But have you accepted the gift of salvation?